scripture reading today is from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. We'll be reading chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning I have the uh, joy and the privilege of introducing our guest preacher. He also happens to be my best friend. His name is, I know, uh, uh, his name is Alex Sartor. Alex, why don't you come on up here? Me and Alex went to high school together at OCSI in Yomitan here in Okinawa. Um, we also got saved uh, on the same week. During the same week, the same youth retreat we went to as sophomores in high school. Uh, it was called Shore Break um, on the island of Tokushiki, if you guys are familiar with that island here, uh, just not too far off the coast of this island. Um, at this retreat, God confronted both me and Alex with his goodness and his beauty in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, our lives haven't been uh, the same since. Um, today, Alex is, uh, he is the pastor at Kadena Fellowship Church. So he's leading a church. Kadena Fellowship Church, or KFC for short. Um, you know, now that I think of it, Alex, I always knew that you'd end up working at a KFC. Uh, but all this to say, there's a ton of things I really appreciate about my friend. Um, I think he's an example, a model in so many ways. He's a model in leading his family. Uh, he's a model in leading his church. I think he's a model in applying wisdom to his life. Uh, he's actually also working at OCSI in a full-time uh, capacity there while being a full-time pastor. So um, I understand that he's doing this to, to put his church in a really good place financially. So he's applying wisdom in that sense, even though it, it's a lot of sacrifice for him. Um, someone once told me that you're only as wise as your five closest friends. And so my life has benefited from uh, Alex. He's made me a wiser person. But unfortunately, I also think the opposite is true. Uh, he, he might have brought my wisdom level up, but I think I've brought his wisdom level down a little bit. So what I guess I'm trying to say is that because of our relationship, my friendship with Alex has made him stupider. Uh, <laughs> which is a great thing to say about your best friend. But let me pray for him, let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, come before you, God. Uh, we're humbled by your goodness. We're humbled by the fact that you use weak, foolish people, God, to advance your kingdom, uh, to proclaim your glory, God. Uh, Father, thank you so much 
for revealing your goodness to us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that this morning our hearts and our eyes would be pointed towards your son. I pray that we would fix our hearts and our eyes on him, Lord, that we would never depart, that we would look to nothing else for satisfaction and fulfillment and life and goodness, Lord. Uh, Fix our hearts on Christ, Father, we ask this morning. Would you bless Alex? Would you bless his family? Would you bless Kadena Fellowship Church? Thank you that you are at work among them. Thank you that you have not left us, God, uh, but you are faithful to us. You are with us always. We praise you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Vince. So fun. Vincent Hogue. Yeah, we, uh, we've been through a lot. Vince is my brother from another mother. Like you said, we graduated high school together in 2007. Class of 007. Anyone out there? 007? Nope. <laughs> and, you know, no one from our graduating class would have believed that Vince and Alex would be the ones standing before you here today. There's no way we could have guessed that we'd be the pastors. Uh, And as I was thinking about that, the Lord brought this uh, scripture to mind, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And that's Vince and I right here. We're not wise according to worldly standards. And many... Uh, Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord and and yeah we boast in the lord it is not in our strength and church if the lord can use vincent and the lord can use me he can use every single one of you that's kind of the theme of today but uh yeah my name is alex sartor Uh, i am blessed to get to be here with you all. Thank you, Pastor John, for inviting me. Um, yeah, I'm so blessed. You know, while I get to serve as a pastor at Kadena Fellowship Church, like Vince was saying, I also have the privilege of working at Okinawa Christian School International. And I have four kids with my beautiful wife, Jess. She's right here. Stand up, Jess. Okay, she's not going to stand up. <laughs> From the oldest to youngest, their names are Elliot, Jane, uh, Jamie, and Matthew. And to this day, I don't know what we were thinking, naming one Jane and the next James. It's like the same name, but it's okay. And those of you with kids might be able to relate, but, but leaving the house in the mornings can be such an ordeal. I have to constantly remind my daughter, Jane, to stop talking, take the next bite, because we got to go. Right? I'm always asking my son, Elliot. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to be in service, but... You know, he would like be late, lounging on the couch and I'd say, hey, is everything ready to go? Right? Because I don't mind him hanging out on the couch if he's ready to go. So he'll respond, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And I'll say, did you brush your teeth? And he might say something like, uh, not yet. And I'm like, okay, go brush your teeth. So everyone gets ready. We're at the door. And then comes the endless goodbyes. Right? It's like they think we're voyaging across the Atlantic and we don't know if we'll see each other again. And my son, Jamie, who's 
four years old. Uh, he's the most difficult to leave behind. He gets emotional, and when Jamie gets emotional, there is, uh, there's no reasoning with him. First off, he yells, goodbye, from the, from the top of his lungs. It's like if the neighbors weren't up already, everybody's awake by now. And as I step out of our home, he loves to grab onto my legs like a koala. We literally need to tear him away from me so that I can go to work. And in that moment, it is a little annoying because I, I need to get out of the house. But it is pretty cute. And I know that I'll miss it when they get older because it's not going to be cute if I have a teenager holding onto my legs. Now the question is, why does Jamie hold on to me? Right? Is it because he's apathetic toward me, that he couldn't care less if I stayed, if I went? No, right? He grabs on to me because he loves me. He wants to be with me. He doesn't want to be separated from me. I want to direct your attention back to 1 Thessalonians 2.17. Paul said, but since we were torn away from you, for Paul, leaving the Thessalonians felt like he was being torn away from them. Now, why did he feel that way? It's because he cared deeply about the church of Thessalonica. He loved the Thessalonians deeply. In this letter, you've already seen how affectionate Paul's feelings toward the Thessalonians were. Chapter 1, verse 2 said, we, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Then he shared how he was gentle among them, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. In chapter 2, verse 7. And then in the next verse, chapter 2, verse 8, he said, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul loved and cared for the Thessalonians like a mother does her child. There aren't many relationships as intimate as a nursing mother and her baby. Paul had a gentle, genuine affection toward the Thessalonians. But not only that, he cared for them like a father with his children. Right? He said in Thessalonians 12, uh, 2, verses 11 and 12, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Right, tough love, right? He raised the bar for them. He challenged them and he encouraged them in their faith. Paul really loved and cared for this church like how parents love their children. And remember, Paul only spent around three weeks with the people in, Thessalon in Thessalonica. And so when his time with the church was cut short, it felt like he was literally being ripped away from them. But his heart was still with them. He said, we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in heart. You've heard the phrase, out of sight, out of mind, right? The idea is when you, when you don't see something, you, you don't think about it. But for Paul, this wasn't the case with the Thessalonians. Out of sight, but still very much in his mind, still very much in his heart. His heart was still with them. He was still with the Thessalonians in spirit. You know, let's say you have a daughter and, and, and she has a soccer game coming up. 
right? It's the first game of the season. She's practiced so hard to be on the team. You want to be there for her, to cheer for her, to encourage her. But something came up at work, and you can't go. But your heart is still going to be at that game. Maybe you'll text your spouse to find out what's going on, to get some updates. Hey, how's she doing? Did she score any goals? Your daughter will constantly be on your mind as you think of her and as you pray for her that God would help her do the best that she can do. Your heart will be at that game. And that's how Paul felt. But being there in spirit wasn't the same as actually being there with them. So he had this great desire to see them face to face. Paul and his crew, they wanted to come to the Thessalonians to be with them, but we learned that Satan hindered them. Now, why would Satan hinder such a thing? Because Paul's desire to be with the Thessalonians was a good desire. And simply put, the enemy is against all things that are good. He's evil and he exists to work against God, to thwart fruitfulness in the ministry. And so to me, the fact that Satan would, would hinder Paul's endeavor to be with the Thessalonians is evidence that Paul desired a good thing. He desired an important thing. Fellowship is good. To be face to face with other believers is good. So kudos, all of you. Way to come to church. It's not enough to consume sermons on podcasts and live stream. It's not enough to be in a Christian Facebook group to talk about theology. Being face-to-face, physical proximity cannot be replaced even in the digital age that we find ourselves in. No amount of technology can ever replace the actual gathering of the saints. It's important for us to gather and be face-to-face. And really, we shouldn't take it for granted. This is a privilege, a freedom that we have. You all remember what happened in the last three years. The world can change in a blink of an eye. So don't neglect the fellowship with other believers. You know, I'm so struck by Paul's love for this church. I'm so struck by his affection toward them, especially considering he only had like three weeks with them. In that short amount of time, what did Paul do? We learned that he witnessed to the Thessalonians in word and in deed, right? He shared the gospel with them. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He proved to them how it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and rise from the dead. He told them, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He shared the gospel with them and people believed. And while he was there, he worked tirelessly. He said night and day he worked that they might not be a burden to the people in Thessalonica. He was holy and righteous and blameless in his conduct toward the Thessalonian believers. So in other words, Paul was invested there. He didn't waste any time sitting around waiting for things to happen. He got right into establishing relationships and building up others. He didn't know how long he was going to be there, but that didn't matter. He grew in his relationship with the Thessalonians. 
He planted himself. He let his roots grow deep. And that's why it felt like he was being torn away from the Thessalonians when he had to leave. The deeper you're rooted into a community, the harder it is to leave and plant yourself elsewhere. It really will feel like, like you're being ripped out, ripped out, ripped away, like your heart is being ripped out of you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. But the fear of that pain is no reason to not let your roots grow deep. Right, Pillar Church, I want to encourage you all to plant yourself here, to plant yourself to where God has called you to plug in and let your roots grow deep. Because as you're rooted here, the fruit will outweigh the pain. Don't be a nomad wandering from one place to another, not really calling anywhere your home. I know the temptation to just, just pass through is real. To just come on Sundays, be nice, say hi, but not grow in relationship with others in the church. You know, I know, I imagine many of you are in the military and that your time here is limited, right? Some of you are only here maybe for a couple of months, a year or two, maybe three years. You might think, what's the point? If I'm, if I'm only going to be here for a little bit, I don't want to be invested in relationships. I really think that way of thinking is a big mistake. It's not how God designed the church to operate. It's not what God would have for you. You would, you would lose out on so much. What you sow into this ministry is what you will reap. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And there's so much good to be reaped here at the Pillar Church. Follow Paul's example. Look at what he gained in the three weeks that he spent with the Thessalonians. Right? Paul called the Thessalonians his hope, his joy, crown of boasting. Right? If Jesus came back, that's what he would boast in. The fruit of that ministry in Thessalonica was what Paul was proud of, what he would offer up to Jesus. It wasn't his accolades. It wasn't his accomplishments. It wasn't his good looks. It wasn't the number of followers he had on Instagram. It was the Thessalonians. They were his glory and joy. And if that's possible in three weeks, imagine what could be possible for you here in three months, in three years. What is your glory? What is your joy? If Jesus came back today, what will be your hope, your joy, your crown of boasting before the Lord? May your boast be the fruit of your ministry here in Okinawa as you plug in and let your roots grow deep. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So don't sit on the sidelines and be a consumer of the church. Get connected. Be a contributor and allow the Lord to use you in your time here in Okinawa. Like I said earlier, if God can use Vince <laughs> or me, 
Now, it's interesting where Paul goes after sharing about how he loves and wants to be with them face to face. 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain." So why does Paul send Timothy to the Thessalonians? Timothy was a faithful co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He was helpful to Paul as they traveled. Timothy was his protege. In 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul called Timothy his true child in the faith. So I imagine it was inconvenient for Paul to send off Timothy. It was nice to have Timothy around, He was trustworthy. He was useful. But remember, Paul really cared for the Thessalonians. That's how much he cared for the Thessalonians. He wanted to be there with them face to face, but he couldn't. So he sent his his best guy to go check on them. Paul sent Timothy to go make sure that the Thessalonians were doing okay. He sent Timothy to do essentially what he did for the Thessalonians, to establish them, to exhort them in their faith, that they might not be moved by the afflictions that they faced. That even when they faced the fiercest storms in life, they might be anchored in the Lord unmoved. That even through the waves of hardship that came, they might not face shipwreck in their faith. You see, that's where Paul went in his thinking. He loved the church of the Thessalonians. He cared for them like a mother, like a father. So when they faced afflictions, he couldn't just sit idly by and watch it happen. He had to act. And he couldn't go, so he sent Timothy. And again, that's the fruit of Paul being rooted and knit together with that community, with the church of the Thessalonians, in the short amount of time that he had with them. And I believe that's what God calls you to, to be rooted and knit together here at the Pillar Church. If you don't invest in the relationships here, if you don't plug in, you not only rob yourself, but you rob the church of fruitfulness in the ministry. Hebrews 10 Verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, one of the functions of the church is to support and help those who face affliction. As a church, we're called to bear one another's burdens. We are the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that when one part of the body, when one member suffers, the whole body suffers together. We're called to care for those who need caring, 
to comfort where there's heartbreak, to encourage where there's disappointment, to, to speak truth to where lies are being believed. When someone is going through a difficult season, you can come alongside them and help walk them through it. Or vice versa, maybe you're going through a difficult season. Have someone come alongside you and help you walk through it. When you let your roots grow deep in the Lord and in the community, you can be like a strong tree that when storms do hit, you will be unmoved. And you can also be a refuge for those around you. And how much more of a refuge when we have a forest of strong trees? But if you keep things surface level, keep the relationships shallow with the Lord and with the church, you're going to be like moss. No one finds refuge in mosses, no matter how big the colony is. Mosses are easily movable. I know because I used to play with moss at my grandparents' house. <laughs> uh, my grandparents had a really old home. It was a big home. And on their second floor balcony, there was a, an area where it would puddle after a rain. No one ever went there. It was kind of an abandoned area. And so that space had a lot of moss. It was vibrant with moss. And my cousins and I uh, would go there sometimes, and we, we'd get some moss, and we'd treat it like a pet. <laughs> it was like our, our version of the pet rock, but it was free. I feel ancient, like sharing it. We had video games too, but you know, when we got tired, back in my day. But they were kind of cute, right? Like they were kind of furry, you can like pet it, no? <laughs> but do you know how easy it is to uproot moss? It's like the easiest thing ever. Actually, you're not even uprooting it because mosses don't have roots. You just scoop them up and you have that cute little moss. <laughs> I remember kicking the ground where the moss was, and they would fly all over the place, make a big mess. Right? Mosses are easily movable. Don't be a moss. Because as Paul warned the Thessalonians, affliction is coming. Be a strong tree. You know, there are many people who believe that once you're a Christian, life will be without suffering. And their pastors out there who teach that. But the truth is, the Bible never promises that Christians will be free from affliction. In fact, the Bible is very clear about how we will face affliction. Paul said it here in 1 Thessalonians 3, and you can find the reality of Christians suffering all over the New Testament. Suffering is never denied. And Paul was worried that the Thessalonians might have been tempted away from the faith, that his, that his investment in them would have been wasted. Now, you'll find out next week how the Thessalonians fared in their troubles. Did they stumble or fall? Or did Timothy have good news to report back to Paul? You'll find out next week. You've got to come back. Or you can just read ahead. Now, just like afflictions and sufferings were reality then, as you know, it's, it's, it's a reality today. Now, on the one hand, it could be an opportunity for the enemy to tempt you away from the faith. But on the other hand, the Lord can use suffering for good, for his glory. 
You know, the biblical response to affliction is pretty radical. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. James tells us to count it all joy when you meet trials because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Paul said a similar thing in Romans 5 when he said that, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God as well as in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. So the Lord can and does use affliction for his purposes. And that's a hard truth to hear, but it's, it's a truth that brings me hope because it means that I can, I can rest in his sovereignty. Now maybe, maybe you're going through a difficult season today. And if that's you, first of all, I want to encourage you, don't suffer on your own, right? Talk to someone. Look around you. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ are here for you. Like I said earlier, that's what the church is for. And I want to encourage you that the Lord sees you, that he knows what you're going through. Affliction in your life does not mean God is absent in your life. He's very much active and working. And he is the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted from God, by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If you find yourself in the middle of the storm, if you're experiencing affliction, don't lose heart. You know, when the disciples found themselves in the middle of a storm in Matthew 14, the God of all comfort came to their rescue. This is after Jesus fed the 5,000 and he, he sent the disciples away by boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus made the crowd go home and he went up to the mountain to pray on his own. And late that night, or early that morning, as the disciples sailed across the sea, there was a huge storm. 
And they were in the middle of the sea. The waves were huge. And the wind was against them. They were struggling to make their way to their destination. And so what does Jesus do? He went to them. Right? He went to them to deliver them from the storm. He miraculously walked on water to get to the disciples. And at first, when the disciples saw him, they were terrified. They thought that he was a ghost. But Jesus is so good. He immediately comforted them by saying, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. I take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid afraid. The words of Jesus is so comforting to those who love him. And I love this part. And Peter yells out, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replied, come. And so Peter stepped out in faith right into the storm with his eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. And he walked on water how amazing is that? But then he lost focus. Matthew 14, verses 30 through 32. But when he saw the wind, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to doubt. When Peter shifted his focus from Christ to the storm, and he saw himself in the midst of that great storm, he became afraid. He no longer trusted in Jesus, and he started to sink. Church, when when you go through storms in your life, do not take your eyes off of Jesus. If you take your focus away from Jesus, the temptation to doubt will crowd your heart and you're going to start to sink. Now, maybe you're here and, and you are in the middle of a storm and you feel like you have taken your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe you feel like you are starting to sink. Well, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to follow Peter's example. If you feel like you're sinking, do what Peter did. When Peter started to sink, he turned his attention back to Jesus and he cried out, Lord, save me. Right? Lord, save me. That's it. Turn your eyes back to Jesus and trust in him. There's nothing else Peter did but to trust and to place his faith in Jesus. And Jesus took care of the rest. Right? He immediately reached out his hand. He grabbed Peter and he helped him back into the boat. And Peter was reunited with the rest of the disciples on that boat. So again, if you're struggling today, if you're facing adversity, affliction, first of all, don't go through it on your own. Talk to someone you trust, someone who's mature in the faith. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Have faith in him. I pray, pray that he might deliver you. And always remember that Jesus is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And remember that no one 
can take away the hope that we have in him. I want to leave you all with one last portion of scripture from the second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I pray that this would be true of us, that this would be true of the Pillar Church. This is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us to worship you in song and as we study your word. God, thank you for the freedom that we have to proclaim the gospel, to be in ministry, to do ministry here in Okinawa. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be rooted in you, to be anchored in your word, and to, to let our roots grow deep in the fellowships that we are a part of. And Father, as afflictions come, I pray that we would support one another, that the church would come alongside and support and love and care for one another. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you. Whatever happens, God, I pray that, that you would be at the center of our hearts, that you would be our priority, that you would be the one to lead and guide us, to, to grant us everything that we need, that you would strengthen us, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in our faith. Help us to love you more, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love for us. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and just for your goodness. Thank you, God, for this church, how you've built this church into what it is today. I pray that you would continue this great work that you've started here and use the Pillar Church to, to reach the ends of the earth. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.